0: And good coffee, everybody. Hey, it's time for some morning coffee with Larry, and I am glad that you are here to join with me today for a hot cup of brew of whatever your mouth wants. <laughs> I am having some, I think it was a uh, donut house coffee or something like this. This is part of a variety pack I got from Rural King. Mmm. That just tastes good. I was like being a mouth sleeper last night, and my mouth and my throat was just dry. And they they were just screaming for something hot and moist this morning, so that's where I wound up, having the great therapeutic cup of coffee. <laughs> oh, well, it is Friday. Yay! It's Friday, the 29th of May. We are at the end of the month. Can you believe it? 29th. And in looking ahead to see if they've changed the weather forecast. Oh my gosh. This looks fantastic. Oh, I hope it stays this way. Because we had had a good good little downpour uh, the other day. I don't know, was it yesterday or the day before? I think it was the day before. And uh, we also had some yesterday, but... Uh, So, you know, there's moisture in the ground, and now today it's supposed to be a high of 75, mostly sunny. Tomorrow, a high of 72, mostly sunny. Sunday is 71 and sunny. Monday, 71 and partly sunny. Tuesday's 84 and partly cloudy. Wednesday's 87 and partly cloudy. Thursday is 80 and partly cloudy. And Friday is 83 and partly cloudy. Oh my gosh, we've got a whole week. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven days, and we're not supposed to have rain. Of course, when I look at the weather tomorrow, it'll probably be rain half those days, but I'm excited today. It just adds to my concept of Friday. (laughs) Oh, well, I want to uh, continue on with the topic of forgiveness, and again, this is from the book *The Art of Forgiving*: What you need to, when you need to forgive, and don't know how, by Lewis B. Smeeds, author of *Forgive and Forget*. Uh, I was looking on the back of the book, and uh, some of the people who you know wrote their little ditties about it include Neil Clark Warren. I uh, shared with you his book *The Triumphant Marriage*. Uh, Philip Yancey. Uh, who's the author of Finding God in Unexpected Places and the Jesus I Never Knew, Uh, Dale Hansen-Burke, who is a publisher of Religious News Service, Cornelius Plantinga, Jr., author of Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, and uh, Nicholas Woltersdorf, uh, professor of philosophical theology, Uh, At Yale University. So, I mean, some interesting uh, people promoting uh, the book here. Um, Let's see. It also says here that uh, uh, Lewis Meads is an acclaimed author of 10 books at the time of this one being published, including Forgive and Forget, Shame and Grace, The Petty Good Person, The Pretty Good Person, Choices and Caring and Commitment. Oh, no, Choices. And then uh, and Caring and Commitment, all of which grapple with the deepest personal and spiritual concerns of our time. He is a senior professor at the Graduate School of Psychology at Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California. So, what we talked about last time was we kind of got introduced to a particular story about Jennifer, uh, her husband, a uh, 17-year-old that they took into their home to try to help and uh, the destruction of Jennifer's marriage when her husband and the 17-year-old were caught having an affair. And he introduces as far as three stages where uh, for forgiveness. And it's uh, the first was we rediscover the humanity of the person who hurt us, we surrender our right to get even, we revise our feelings towards the person we forgive. So um, let, let's uh, let's get into this first part and then talk a little bit about it, and then we'll continue on. You know, next week with uh, the other parts of it. This part is redist- rediscovering the humanity of the person who hurt us. <coughs> Excuse me. I have heard that 80% of what we see lies behind our own eyes. If this is so, 80% of what we see when we look at a person who recently wronged and deeply wounded us must lie behind our eyes in the memory of our pain. We filter the image of our villain through the gauze of our wounded memories, and in the process we alter his reality. We shrink him to the size of what he did to us. He becomes the wrong he did. If he has done something truly horrible, we say things like, He is no more than an animal, or He is nothing but a cheat. Our no more than and our nothing but knock the humanity out of our enemy. He is no longer a fragile spirit living on the fringes of existence. He is no longer a confusing mixture of good and evil. He is only, he is totally, the sinner who did us wrong. As we start on the miracle of forgiving, we begin to see our enemy through a cleaner lens, less smudged by hate. We begin to see a real person a botched self, no doubt, a hodgepodge of meanness and decency, lies and truths, good and evil, that not even the shadows of his own of his soul can wholly hide. We see a bubble held aloft by the blowing of a divine breath. We see a human being created to be a child of God, forgiving our enemy does not turn him into a close friend or a promising husband or a trustworthy partner. We do not diminish the wrongness of what he did to us. We do not blind ourselves to the reality that he is perfectly capable of doing it again. But we take him back into our private world as a person who shares our faulty humanity, bruised like us, faulty like us, Still thoroughly blamable for what he did to us, yet human like us. I really like the words that the author chose here. Um, because there is a lot of truth to this. There is, this is a lot of what I share with my counseling clients. Whether it is forgiving a specific person that did wrong. Whether it is trying to forgive the government for, you know, decisions that were made, you know, in times of war with my veterans, whether it is, you know, the different political leaders of the day, it doesn't matter. That first part where he says, you know, 80% of what we see lies behind our own eyes. Oh, my gosh, yes. I mean, that is, I think it's closer to 100%. Because what happens is we are interpreting everything we encounter. Stop and think about this for a moment. There's the, the idea of sensation and the idea of perception. Sensation is simply raw data that is fed to our brain from our sensory organs. All that raw data has to be perceived. And it is mixed with many different things, including an experience of emotion. The level of emotion that we feel is easily turned into the uh, 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 a metric for determining whether something is true or false. Uh, you know, think about think about when you listen to somebody. You know, what kinds of, how are you interpreting everything that they tell you? Is it purely the words? Or are you interpreting it also tied into facial expressions, body posturing? If you've had classes on, you know, like interrogation, you know, do you, You know, when you see somebody's eyes move in certain directions, oh, that means this and that means that. And how accurate are those things that they use in interrogation? I mean, I had classes where they taught us, you know, uh, how to determine if somebody was, you know, thinking this or thinking that, thinking a vision, having a visual thought or a auditory thought or a kinesthetic uh, feeling thought. Uh, I know I've talked to people in the police force that they, they've learned these things from criminal psychologists. And my question is what, uh, you know, you're, you're treating it like it's a hundred percent, but do you have any proof that it's a hundred percent accurate or is it 75% accurate or is it 50% accurate? You know, those kind of things, it ties into how we perceive somebody, you know, uh, how does a prosecutor in the court system so passionately passionately works to convict somebody and is doing everything they can to you know show the evidence but mixed in with their perceptions that this person is guilty and this jury needs to condemn them only to have New evidence come out at the end of the trial or after the trial that proves beyond a shadow of doubt that they were innocent, that they weren't even there, that the person was telling the truth, and yet that that prosecutor may still believe they're guilty. They just got off the hook. Well, that's that's based in what's behind their eyes. So here we have situations like this one here in the book with Jennifer. And and what happened? How she was viewing her husband, you know. The how much of that was wrapped up with what's behind her eyes? Not to say he did didn't do what was wrong. He did do what was wrong. But we can create. You know, we can change, we can create a monster out of a non-monster based upon our perception, how we're seeing something, how we interpret what's going on. I like this part. We shrink him to the size of what he did to us. That becomes the sole focus. This is what he did. And then based upon that, we go back in our memory and we try to find something that's a close match. And then we go, oh, I bet it happened here. I bet it happened here. I bet another thing happened. I bet another thing happened. Isn't that how we do it? Be honest with yourself. Isn't that how we do it with a lot of situations in our life? When we are very emotionally distressed over it. If we're not emotionally distressed, we usually don't go on, uh, you know, a scavenger hunt throughout our memories to try to find it, but when we are, that becomes our fixation, that becomes our focal point. When you have been wronged and you lay awake at night, you go through to try to find all the evidence in your head to support this belief this notion the add more evidence to the wrong to make the wrong feel worse why because then it justifies you know all this anger anger is addicting anger is addicting as any drug you think meth is addicting you think cocaine is addicting you think heroin's addicting Anger is more addicting than all of those. As we start with the miracle of forgiving, we begin to see our enemy through a cleaner lens, less smudged by hate. You know, you can't, I'm going to say it with the word can't, you can't forgive when you're embracing hate. When you're embracing hate, that's different from embracing hurt. But when you're embracing hate, you can't forgive. You can either hate or you can forgive. You can't do them both at the same time. And a question I have to ask is, what's the hate going to get you? Most people think, well, it'll keep me from getting hurt again. You ever find her hating people who have peace? Mm-mm. They don't. Forgiving an enemy doesn't turn him into a close friend or a promised husband or a trustworthy partner. That's true. There's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. But it's really hard to reconcile. It's really hard to reconcile when... You're, you're still seeing them and continue to see them and want to see them as a monster. You know, one of the things that I have learned in counseling is people who do some of the most horrific kinds of things. There's not a whole lot of difference between them as a person and the rest of us as people or as me as a person. I've sat on my couch or in my chair looking at a client who's sitting across from me. And that client may have done some pretty horrific things. Not minimizing them one bit, but as I listen to their story, As I try to help them piece together the path that took them from where they were to where they are now. And you know what? Anyone could have walked that path. Oh, but I have stronger morals. I have stronger values. Great. Do you ever have a moment of weakness? Do you ever have a time when you're not Superman? See, it's during those times when you are capable of anything. It's those times when you're capable of anything. And you see, when we realize our own brokenness, our own weaknesses, that can kind of help us get off our high horse and realize we're all broken we're all fragile we're all on the edge of existence we have all horribly offended god we have all you know done things to do, to deserve his hate and his wrath but is that what god has done for us no God set in place a plan, a plan of forgiveness that included his son Jesus to pay the penalty so that the price of sin against God could be paid for so that love and unity and communing with God would be possible again. See, forgiveness is a gift from God to us that we are then to use with others. And a good place to start is to recognize the humanity of the person who hurt us and the potential of the same in us. All right. That's it for today. Next time, we will continue with surrendering our right to get even. I hope you like this. I'm liking this. I'm liking this. All right. We'll talk to you on Monday. Have a great rest of your cup of coffee. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.